For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel. By this word, not ashamed, Paul means that he does not retreat from it. He does not shrink back from the gospel as someone who is ashamed of it, but rather he embraces it. He runs to it. And why does he do that? Why does Paul run to and embrace the gospel? He says right here, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the only thing by which people who are dead in their sins can be saved. The gospel. So what is this gospel? As a famous preacher has said, God is the gospel. God is the beginning of all things. It all started with God. Before the world or people or anything were made, there was God. In the beginning, there was only God. Where's my big thing? Did you bring it? All right. We didn't bring the big thing. Let me see if I have a little thing. Do I have a little? I bet somebody brought theirs. See, it's not my money. <clears throat> ah, here it is. It's my book. Before anything was ever created, there was God. And this color reminds me that God was before all things. It's a beautiful color. It's a, the color of light. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness. God is perfect. God is good. God is holy. And God created us in His image. He spoke and it came to be. He created all things. He tells us also that we need to be light. We need to be like Him. We must appear as He is and be as He is if we want to live with Him forever in heaven. This color also reminds me that God is in heaven. And that's where we want to be. That's not where we are right now. Right now we're on the earth and we're walking around among and in the darkness. What does God require us to be and to do in order to be holy and perfectly good? Here it is. It's easy. 
Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's all. That's all. Just be perfect. (laughs) And then you can be like God and you'll be with God if you just are perfect. Right? Oh, he also said, and love your neighbor as yourself. So just love your neighbor, your friend, even your enemy, as much as you love yourself. And then you can be with God in heaven. Jesus even said that. He quoted that, those scriptures. When they asked him, what's the greatest law? That's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And he even said, as he was teaching people on the mount, be perfect. Even as what? Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So just look at God. You're created in His image. Just look at Him and be perfect like He's perfect. And then you've got it made. (laughs) But we're not perfect. And we're not good. We do bad things and we sin. And our hearts are dark. Without Jesus, our hearts are dark. And we're under condemnation. That's how we start in this life. We all start out under condemnation. I was reading a great sermon the other night because I was researching what some theologians were saying about the atonement, about what Christ did on the cross. And, and there are a whole bunch of people who preach and teach who are really upset that we still look at the atonement. Christ dying on the cross for sinners, for sin, and taking the penalty of our sin upon Himself. Why is there such great opposition to that truth? That's what the Bible teaches, right? That we are sin, we're sinners, we're born in sin, we start out that way, And I was reading a sermon by a preacher named Jonathan Edwards. And it's a very famous sermon. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And you know, people make fun of that. People think that he's way too harsh, just harsh. That surely God wouldn't be like that. Surely God would not be angry with people enough to kill them. Because after all, God is love. Right? Well, the answer is, he's both. He's a God of wrath and a God of love. A God of wrath and a God of love. And this is what Jonathan Edwards had to say about our sin. He said, we're all there. Every person ever born is under the condemnation of sin. Judgment of sin. The wrath of God is upon us. In John, the gospel says that that if we don't believe, we're condemned already. 
because we've not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So that's the neutral. That's where we start. We start in the hole. We don't start in neutral. We start in the hole. Romans 3, 9 through 12, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's the New Testament. That sounds like bad news. The New Testament is the bad news, good news story. First, there's the bad news. We're all sinners and we're all going to go to hell unless something happens to change that situation. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how do we reconcile those two things? How do we hear Jesus saying, Be perfect. Even as my Father in heaven, your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, just have the glory of God. Did you do that for me? Thank you so much. If we're to have life at all, at all, if we're to have life at all, we must be completely righteous. Completely righteous. How can we, who are terribly sinful, become perfectly righteous? Good. Holy, just. Only if we're found in Christ can we be perfectly righteous. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. By His blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God did it. He put forth his son, Jesus Christ, a perfect, sinless man, his son on the cross, his blood was shed, he paid the penalty for our sins, and he was raised again for our justification to make us clean, 
and holy and righteous and good. God did it. And we receive it by faith. Philippians 3, 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost. This is Paul, the apostle, speaking. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that's what we're here celebrating today. Is Christ's resurrection. God comes to us with this word. It's the only thing that can save us is this word of truth. God's word brought to us in some means, either by someone speaking it to us or through the Bible, we can read it, but it's that word. What word? Just any word? Be good? No. Repent of your sins and be saved. It's God's gospel. We need to understand the first thing is that there is a God. God is real. That's something we need to believe in order to be saved. That there is a God and he is real and he is specific. He has personality. He, he's a person. And he's very specific about who he is and who we are and what we do and what we need. And he tells it. In his word, somebody's well-read scripture. That's how he tells us. That's the thing. And we need to believe that we are sinners. That's something we need to believe. It says it in the Bible. If you don't believe that you're a sinner, you're not going to be saved. Why? Because the only way to be saved is to confess your sins. To believe and to confess it. To agree with God. God, I am a sinner. And when that truly happens in my heart, it will break my heart. When God showed that to me, it did break my heart. Because I thought I was pretty good. Because everybody told me I was a pretty good boy my whole life growing up. In fact, I was probably the best boy in that whole town. And they, and they said that in the newspaper. <clears throat> and I believed it. But something happened along the way when I was really little. I started doing things that were wrong. And thinking things that were wrong. And I had good parents that would spank me and tell me, you're doing the wrong thing, Mark. <laughs> but you know, I grew up and I was still doing wrong things. 
and thinking wrong things. And so my mistake was, I thought I was a pretty good boy. I thought I was, at least I was better than everybody else. And then I heard the truth one night. And you know, the thing is, God had been telling me the truth for a while. Because I'd been in church all my life, and I was not saved. thought I was. Because I was doing a pretty good job of keeping my end of the bargain. I was, I was outwardly, at least, living a pretty righteous life, I thought. Well, I knew that everybody sinned, but that just couldn't be helped, right? See, I justified my sin. But then I heard the true word. And then God told me in my spirit, you are a sinner. And I believed it. And when I realized that Jesus was on that cross because of my sin, that broke my heart. And I asked God to forgive me for that sin. That's really all it was. That's all that happened. And and I knew. I knew at that moment that God forgave me. I believed it. And God says that when you believe, He counts it as righteousness. The Scripture says that that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. But it wasn't just for him, the Scripture says. It was for us. So that we can believe that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised again on the third day. And when we know that and believe that and we believe that Jesus has taken our darkness and made it white, Jesus has done that. He accounts it to us as righteousness, goodness, completely clean, completely delivered, completely new. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come for those who are in Christ. How is it that we can have this righteousness? Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. No other way. Jesus is the only way. Jesus, the real Jesus, (laughs) who was born, who lived on the earth, And who died on the cross. That Jesus. And we believe that he is God. And that he came to save us from our sins. 1 John 1.9 says. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. And what happens when your unrighteousness is gone? Then you're righteous. (laughs) If you're not unrighteous, you're righteous. How do we become righteous? 
through the blood of Jesus. Through the faith that God gives us. Look back at Romans. Did we do that this morning? Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God, righteousness of God, is revealed. The gospel of God is a story about the righteousness of God. And the word of God reveals it. Reveals God's righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. How do we even understand that God is righteous? How do we understand this word? It's by the faith that we have that God gave us. God gives us the faith to believe it. And it's for our faith. It's, it's like a circle that starts with God and ends with God. And he incorporates us in his circle. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's this faith that God gives us that enables us to live, to have life at all. I was at Walmart last night, <laughs> really late. And Stephen was in the dressing room trying on some clothes, and the lady was there, and of course she has to wait there. And And she said, Happy Easter. <laughs> I said, Happy Easter. What does Easter mean for you? You know, because I think that God gives us opportunities everywhere to share this gospel, this power of God for salvation. And she said, well, it's the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> I said, yeah, isn't that wonderful? She said, yeah, because I really need him because I'm a Gentile. <clears throat> I said, yeah, me too. And I said, you know, the most amazing thing, I was just reading about that right before I came over here. She said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, Romans 1, 16 through 17. And I quoted the scripture to her. She was amazed that it was on the tip of my tongue. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I said, that's what it's talking about. You just said it right then. Where it says to the Jew and also the Greek, the, the Greek is the Gentile. It's the anyone who's not a Jew. She said, wow. You were just reading about that and I just said that and we just said... She said, you know, I don't think there's any fate. I don't think there's any mistake. There's no coincidence. I said, I think you're right. I think God lays on our heart things to say sometimes, things to think, things that we believe. And then we really just need to Go ahead. As uncomfortable as it might be, as uh, odd as it might be, 
Have you ever preached the gospel at Walmart at midnight? <laughs> Sometimes it feels odd. Um, I think the reason I was called yesterday to bring this message is because of something that happened this week. And we were, we've been praying for a while for my son David. Because God has laid it on his heart to not be ashamed of the gospel. And so he goes out on his campus at the University of Texas in San Antonio and he preaches the gospel out loud, very loudly. So that people who are passing within about a half mile can hear the gospel. And you know, I never would have guessed it. Because David's pretty mild-mannered. He's pretty uh, quiet. In fact, he was one of my kids that, you know, I really had to work to get two words out of him. So I'm thinking, what happened? (laughs) And he shared here his view, his vision, and that is that he sees when he walks out on that campus... He sees thousands of people who are dead. (laughs) Not just dying. They are dead. And he knows that there's a word. A word that he can say that God will use in the power of His Spirit to raise the dead to life. That's what we believe, isn't it, as Christians? That it's God's Word accompanied by God's Spirit that creates in us a clean heart. That gives us new life. That raises us from the dead. Just as he was raised from the dead. Even so we will be raised from the dead. When we know this. And believe this. And so there are thousands of people there. As close as you are to me. Who don't know this. It's amazing. And there are hundreds of people. On that campus. Who do know it. And so how does it get from the ones who do know it. To the ones who don't know it. Well let me give you another little stumbling block. There's great opposition. If you wanted to stand up on your campus. And proclaim the true gospel. Why is that? Do you think we have any spiritual enemies that would not want people to hear this message of life? That would want people to think, even the church people to think, you know, I grew up in the church and I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm good enough. You know what Jonathan Edwards said about that? He says people are mistaken and they're complacent. He said maybe some people here in my church, Jonathan Edwards said, are even in that category. Why? Because we have in our minds set up the things that we think we need to do 
to be okay. We've set up a scheme, he calls it. Every person who is lost has a scheme in his mind as to how and why he's going to be okay. Some people think it's through religion. By coming to church every Sunday. Some people think that maybe it's because there's not really a God. People have all kinds of thoughts and reasons about how they're going to be okay at the end of all things, if there really is an end. And I ran into that philosophy on Friday uh, because David David took as his text one day, 1 Corinthians Six nine, and this is the text that got him called to the principal's office. <clears throat> you know, I never imagined as I was raising my children and homeschooling my children, I never imagined that if I sent my kids to school or college that they would be called into the principal's office to be disciplined because they were telling people they needed to be good. Are things backwards in this world? Upside down? Absolutely. And you know, this is what he said. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Who is the they? Who is the you in this scripture? The you here is the ones who believe in Christ Jesus to save from sins. You're the ones who have been sinners. It says such were some of you. This is Have you ever noticed that Paul has this habit of understatement? <laughs> Here's a list of pretty bad sins and he says, "By the way, such were some of you." And you know what he's really saying here? What he said throughout his scripture? Such were all of you. Maybe not these particular problems and sins. You know, in Romans, over there in the first three chapters somewhere, maybe chapter two, he gives this laundry list of sins. You know what one of them is? It kind of is humorous. Disobedient to parents. Do you know that can kick you out of heaven? Has anyone here ever been disobedient to a parent? You know, the scripture says that if you commit one sin... That's it. That's it. One sin and you're out forever in hell. Whoo! People don't like to hear that, do they? Because who qualifies for hell now? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, this particular scripture was not met with 
kind thoughts there on the campus of the University of Texas. Particularly, there are some of these sins that people now are applauded for. You know, the scripture even tells us that that's going to happen. That's coming, the scripture says. There's a time when people not only do these things in the darkness, but they come out of the darkness into the light and people clap them. They, they clap for them. They said, it's okay. It's not just okay. Maybe everybody ought to do this and be like this. <clears throat> there will come a day when that will happen. And when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Because their ears are itching. They want to hear stuff to make them feel good. So some of the people who practiced these things showed up because they heard that this guy was going to be at it again. He was going to be telling them, you need to believe in Christ and be saved. You need to turn away from your sin. You need to repent of your sin. God doesn't want you to die. That's what David was telling them. But you know what? You can't continue in this. You cannot do it and expect to be okay. No matter what the people in your church tell you, no matter what your friends tell you, no matter what you feel like, this is the truth. And they started shouting at him. And he was shouting too. (laughs) And you know, um... Somebody that was there made a complaint with the Office of Equal Opportunity, the Civil Rights Office there at the university. And so he got called in to answer the challenge, to answer the accusation. So he asked, well, can my dad come? (laughs) They said, yes. As long as you sign the waiver, you know, give up your privacy. He said, oh, it's pretty public. <clears throat> but um, sure would like for him to be there. So I had the great opportunity and privilege to be there with my son as he was called before the council, so to speak. And so there was some bit of, you know, concern. <laughs> and it is so interesting on Good Friday as I was driving there listening to a message about God sending his son to the cross to accomplish his purpose. And I thought, you know, when I, when I first mentioned this in prayer last Sunday, some of the men were very concerned, and they came up to me and said, well, is he in Russia? Is he, is he in China? Where, where is David that he would be called before to, to answer the charge of preaching the gospel? Where, where, what country is he in? Well, he's down in San Antonio. Is a day coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine? Yes. When? When is that day coming? Well, you know, I read a case as I was preparing for this meeting. I read a case that was back in 2004, 10 years ago, where a guy was doing the same thing. And he won the case. And the court said he has every right on a public university campus to say these things, even though it might offend somebody. And so, 
And so as we were talking to the people, you know, and, and even before we got there, I had a feeling, I had a, uh, I think God was speaking to my heart that this is not maybe so much about David being charged and, and going down to defend himself and all that. Maybe this is about the people who are there who have the wrong idea, who don't quite understand what this gospel is about. So I've been praying about that for over a week. And you know what? Those people there were nice. The people in the equal opportunity office were nice to us. And and they were um, trying to, you know, weigh these things, trying trying to keep the peace, trying to say, you know, these people just had their feelings hurt because you said they were going to hell. And, and they felt like they didn't have any choice over it because that's just how they are. And so they, they just were really upset and offended by that. And I said, well, you know, it's so interesting because they knew he was going to be there and they came to hear. That's my intelligence because I've kind of researched this issue. And, you know, what happened? I've been talking to people. What happened? Why did this happen? How did the head of this organization happen to be the one that was there shouting at him that day? Well, it's because they have these little gidget gadget things. And Did you know? Did you know? This guy's doing it again. He's out here. He's telling people they're going to hell. Come on over here. And so I said, you know, that is such an interesting thing that they would be so offended that they would have to file a complaint, but they texted all their friends to come listen. So, so I'm thinking maybe there's something more to this, but here's the important thing that I need you to understand is that David doesn't hate any of those people <laughs> that he's preaching to. David loves them, and we love you, and we are so grateful that you want to keep the peace on this campus, and yet, here's the thing, there will be no peace as long as people resist the will of God and resist the word of God, because God compels us in our hearts of compassion to tell you the truth. I said, you know, when we practice life-saving, the first thing that we have to do is figure out why the person's in danger. Because every situation is a little bit different. And so... The lady there said, you know, it wouldn't have been so bad if you had just been preaching against sin, you know, like in general, just because everybody knows that. So just preach against sin in general, but don't talk about specific ones, because that's what makes people mad. I said, you know, when you're life saving, you have to figure out. Why is this person in danger? And when you're trying to help them, you you can't just say, well, you know, friend, you're in great danger. You need to do something to get out of danger. No, if if there's a a 
truck bearing down the street upon them, then you say, you're in danger. You're in the middle of the street. Get out of the street. There's a truck coming. See? So you tell them what the danger is. And then they can do something about it. So what if the whole world is telling these people lies? They're patting them on the back. You know, I saw a picture in, in a school magazine that was so, they were so proud of their alumni, their, the, the, this young man that had graduated, and he was the first ordained minister in the state of Texas who was gay. And there's a photograph in this magazine of a whole room full of people in church clapping. And he's in the middle of them, and they're all clapping. So it's possible that people will be told lies like that. And so David feels compelled to tell them, you've been listening to lies. This is not true. You're not okay. You are in grave danger. Just like all of us were, who were satisfied with ourselves in our sins. Turn away from this sin and live. It's not easy. It's not easy to confront people over sin, over general sin or specific sin. But it's what God calls us to do. To proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the gospel in truth, we have to tell the whole story, not just part of it. You know, there may be churches and people who really talk all about... They start here, maybe. Or they tell people, they start here and tell people, you just need to do this. Just be good. But really, it's the whole story that's the gospel. Starts with God. God is good and perfect and holy, lives in heaven. He won't have anything to do with anybody who is still in their sin. You cannot be in my heaven if you are still dark. So I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross. And his blood paid for your sin. And by his blood, when you receive that by faith, he makes you clean. Perfectly clean, righteous, and holy. And then... You can live with Him in heaven. And then you learn and you grow. Just like the grass grows, you grow. Grow in knowledge of Him and and spread His Word to all the earth. And maybe you'll see somebody in Walmart who says something that will spark a conversation. Maybe you'll be talking to a Christian and just encourage that Christian like I did last night. Maybe it'll be someone who is completely at odds with you, completely disagrees with you. Maybe you'll have to be uncomfortable. What did Paul say? 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know what the verse right before that is? Romans 1.15. I desire to preach to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, his call, his compassion, his heart, why he's presenting the gospel, why he's running toward it and not away from it, is because there are people who need to hear it. Why do they need to hear it? Because it's the only way. It's the only way that a sea of dead people can come to life. Or one person can come to life. David is okay. David is, um, has been told that what he said was legal. And it's possible that he could be called in again uh, when the next complaint comes. And that's okay with him. And you know, it inspires me. <laughs> it inspires me to tell, to tell people. Are you willing to, you know, sometimes I think it's easier to think about going to jail and being flogged than it is to be despised or rejected. (laughs) Have you ever had someone yelling insults at you at the top of their lungs, calling you names and spitting at you, throwing things at you? Because of something good you've done? (laughs) That happens. You know that happens. And that's hard. But we have a God who gives us a heart of compassion for the lost. And so we tell. We, We go out and we tell. And we trust God for the answer. And for how he wants to handle our lives. We don't worry about the consequence or the outcome because we trust God. And it's better for us to suffer than for them to die. That's what we have to look at. Thank you all for your attention and uh, for your prayers for David. And so uh, (laughs) everything will carry on. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your gospel that saves us from death. Lord, thank you that you made one and only way. One and only one way. And that you've told us about it and shown us in our hearts and so that we can believe, so that we can confess and agree with you and be saved and be washed and be clean because of your goodness, because you were perfect, because you have done it for us. And Lord, we pray for those ministers of the gospel all over the world who are speaking your word in the face of opposition, in the face of um, 
trouble, in the face of danger, and even death. I thank you that you've given us um, freedom and that you've allowed David to escape without punishment. Lord, I just pray that you would stir us up to good works in this body, that we would go forth and proclaim your gospel to all the earth. I pray that you would lay that on our hearts, Lord, and that we would do it. In Jesus' name, amen.